Hello, my name is Mark Jarrett, and welcome back to the Marxism Podcast. My podcast, my isms, my ideas, but the world's stories. Today, I'm going to take you on a journey to the Arabian Peninsula, to a country that has experienced absolute horror in the last few years, but is rarely spoken about in comparison to countries like Syria. This country is one of the poorest Arab countries in the world, and has gone from revolution to an all-out civil war, leaving most of the country completely destitute. This country is Yemen. The crisis that has erupted in Yemen is a product of what was known as the Arab Spring, all the way back in 2011 when the flavor of the month in the Middle East was to revolt against tyrannical governments that ruled countries for decades and replace those leaders with democratically elected leaders. Sounds like a great idea, right? Well, for most of those countries, it didn't go exactly as planned. The first country to overthrow their leader was Tunisia. As far as revolutions go, Tunisia's went relatively smoothly. Three weeks of protests and holding their ground after a few crackdowns, the people achieved what they wanted, and this was supposed to be a great next chapter for the country, and Tunisia was looked at as a prime example, resulting in a domino theory taking place with dictator after dictator falling in the Middle East and North Africa, and that was no different for Yemen, except in Yemen, it didn't last three weeks. It lasted a little over a year with thousands dead, and if that wasn't enough, dissolved into a complete multifactional civil war, just like Libya did, and of course just like Syria did. Only slight difference for Syria is that their leader is still in power. After the fall of President Ali Abdullah Saleh, who ruled Yemen for over 20 years, in early 2012, the former vice president of the country, Abdraba Mansur Hadi, took power. Everything is going great, right? Wrong. This messy and disorganized transition of power with forces who supported Saleh fighting forces who supported Hadi showed how broken the country was and was seen as an opportunity for various Islamic militant groups to capitalize on the chaos and establish its legitimacy, and one did in particular. After months of combat, the Houthi rebel groups stormed into the capital of Sana'a. They carried out vicious attacks against the Yemeni government. They attacked presidential palaces, government buildings, and various officials' private residences until Hadi and his ministers were exhausted and resigned in early 2015, leading to the Houthis declaring themselves to be in control of the government and the country. However, it doesn't even come close to ending here. The Houthi rebel group is a predominantly Shia-led group who have been allegedly supported by Iran. When I say allegedly, I mean probably, as many of their views on the United States and Israel are both very similar, despite Iran denying accusations of supporting them. So, where there is a ying, there is usually a yang. On March 26 of 2015, Iran's biggest foe, Saudi Arabia, didn't like that there was an alleged Iranian-backed militant group on their front doorstep who just took over an entire capital city. So, Saudi Arabia, along with other Sunni Gulf countries, created a coalition and decided to launch a military operation in Yemen against the Houthi rebel group, ultimately resulting in Yemen, just like so many other countries in the region, becoming a proxy war between two major heavyweights in the region, Iran and Saudi Arabia, in order to continue this fight for regional hegemony. Now, how does this regional instability affect the world? Well, this conflict has the potential to affect, and you probably guessed it, oil prices. Despite Yemen not being a large producer in oil compared to other Gulf nations, Yemen borders the Strait of Hormuz, which is one of the world's most critical trade routes for oil, with roughly 20% of all the world's oil traveling through it. 
The Strait of Hormuz isn't the only crucial trade route Yemen borders, but also borders the Bab el-Mandeb, which provides access to the very important Suez Canal. So if there were to ever be disruptions in these crucial seaborne trade routes that connect Asia and Europe, it could result in massive changes in oil prices, which would obviously affect the global economy. Another worry with the Yemen conflict that is often underlooked is, of course, terrorism. Despite the leading terrorist group in the country are the Iranian-backed Houthis, they are not the major worry for the West or the world. In fact, the Houthis only operate regionally and, in fact, are not even listed as a terrorist organization by the United Nations, America, UK, France, China, or even Russia. Basically, the permanent five countries on the Security Council that have veto power. In fact, Western intelligence agencies consider the Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, AQAP, to be the most dangerous out of the various branches of Al-Qaeda. The AQAP has a reputation of a massive global outreach and plenty of savvy technological skills. American counterterrorism officials have even said that Yemen is the most direct threat to the United States for the AQAP's ability to smuggle hard-to-detect explosive devices. In fact, some of you may remember the Yakla raid done in Yemen by American Special Op Forces in late January of this year. It was seen as a disaster because one Navy SEAL died with three wounded along with a number of civilian casualties, and it was Trump's first main mission, so lots of people wanted to point out all the things that went wrong. Now, I'm not one to pat Trump on the back, but the mission resulted in a terabyte worth of information found along with plenty of cell phones, laptops, and other devices being seized for intelligence gathering. And back to the AQAP's savvy tech skills for hard-to-detect explosive devices, not long after that raid in Yemen is when the ban on laptops came into play. Now, the controversial ban was lifted as a result of targeting countries from the Middle East, but put in place more security screening measures in order to prevent a possible attack from happening using various electronic devices. So, coincidence? I think so. Now, if you put the Saudi-Iranian rivalry aside, the threat of terrorism, and the economic ramifications as a result of the civil war, the people who are suffering the most and whose voices aren't being heard by the civil war are the Yemeni people themselves. Yemen is in a serious humanitarian crisis right now. To put things into perspective, Yemen has a population of roughly 27 million people. 17 million people are believed to be food insecure. Of that 17 million, it is estimated that 6.8 million are severely food insecure. 3.3 million children and pregnant women are malnourished, including 462,000 children under the age of 5 are facing severe malnutrition. It is believed that a child in Yemen dies every 10 minutes in the country due to starvation and lack of care. On top of that, 14.4 million people are believed to not have access to clean water. 2 million people are internally displaced, 185,000 people have fled the country entirely, and to make matters worse, only 45% of all health facilities are believed to be fully functioning in the country. So with all this going on in the war in Yemen, you once again have a Saudi-Iranian proxy war which is causing more and more tension in the region, massive economic consequences regarding a valuable resource in oil, a growing threat of terrorism with one group basically running the country, and since there are people dying both from lack of food and water along with being caught in the crossfires of war, Yemen is looking like it's going to have a lost generation. So why isn't the West covering this story like they do in regards to Syria or even Iraq for that matter? 
One of the reasons is the lack of accessibility to even access the country, causing difficulty for journalists to cover the stories. In order to access Yemen, you need to get permission from Saudi Arabia or the Houthis. However, on November 5th, only a few days ago, the Houthis launched missiles across the border into Saudi Arabia. As a result, Saudi Arabia closed its land, sea, and air borders entirely to Yemen, charging Iran with an act of war against the kingdom. And in regards to entering the country through Houthi permission, more often than not, terrorist groups in the Middle East aren't usually too fond of Western journalists talking to them, especially when a terrorist group is running a country. This is much different from Syria, as Syria still has a relatively legitimate leader in power with somewhat legitimate institutions. So if journalists can't really get into the country, it's hard for the news to report about it. On top of that, there have been many reports about local journalists who have stopped reporting about the Yemen conflict because of the dangers they may face. Foreign journalists have also been subject to kidnapping as well. In regards to the threat of terrorism in the West, even though I mentioned before that the AQAP have a fairly significant global outreach, when was the last time you heard of an attack that happened in the States or Europe in which the AQAP took responsibility for? Pause. Pause. That's right, basically none. Most of the terrorist attacks in the West have been carried out and claimed by none other than ISIS in most recent years. And where is or was ISIS's most significant presence? Iraq and Syria. It says it in its name, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, making ISIS the top priority for Western leaders to address. The coverage or lack of it with the conflict in Yemen could also be attributable to who is involved. You look at Syria, you have not only regional powers like Iran and Saudi Arabia involved, but international powers are involved as well, including the United States, UK, France, and other coalition forces. And of course, there's Russia. In Syria, you also have more non-state actors supporting state actors, most notably Hezbollah supporting Assad, the Free Syrian Army fighting the Assad regime who are aligned more or less with the coalition forces, and of course the Kurds who act in their own interests to obtain their own state, but for the most part are Western allies. In Yemen, you of course have insurgency groups and the proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia, but there is no real direct involvement from superpowers. Of course, there are American drones probably flying around, but in terms of coalition forces conducting airstrikes the same way as they have in Syria, not even close. That's not to take away from the indiscriminate bombing of the regional powers, however. But back to superpower involvement, the U.S. has, however, sold $115 billion worth of arms with the leading indiscriminate bombing country in the conflict. Saudi Arabia, which was done under the Obama administration, the largest arms deal, by the way, under any president in history, another reason why Western media will want to steer away from the fact that the profits made from a conflict where most of the deaths are civilian deaths. And on the topic of civilians, another reason why Yemen isn't getting the attention Syria has is because of its location. Yemen is at the bottom of the Arabian Peninsula, kind of crunched into a corner with Saudi Arabia to its north and Oman to its east. Why does this matter, you may ask? Well, Yemen is farther away from Europe than Syria or Iraq is. There are far fewer options for refugees and asylum seekers to go to seek safety in the region. As a result, Europe isn't getting swaths of refugees or asylum seekers from Yemen showing up on the shores of various countries that have a coastline on the Mediterranean. 
leading to the people of Yemen being basically trapped in one of the most conflict-stricken zones in the world. All right, and on that depressing note, I hope you all learned something about the Yemen conflict. This has been the Marxism Podcast. I am Mark Jarrett, reporting for duty, signing off now.